1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We're going to be talking about the
0: science of love. Well, for some of us, love has lasted a lifetime and bound us together in marriage and families. For others, love is still ahead of us as we dream about romance, sometimes even shaped by fairy tales And for a significant number, we've never really been able to get things just right, to live that happily ever after experience. Well, when we're talking about love as Christians, we're usually aspiring to a relationship in marriage that will defy the odds and last for a lifetime. But making a marriage last a lifetime, perhaps, is much more sophisticated than any of us really anticipate when we first are dating, when we first make that proposal or respond to that proposal, and when we stand before God and we say, I do. Well, today we're talking about the science of love, experts in psychology, in sociology, neurology and biochemistry. Help us to make sense of the cocktail of chemicals that are swirling around in our brains when we are falling in love. Now, a little caution here for parents with small children. You might like to shield uh, little ears. There are some possibilities that our conversation could go into areas you might be a little concerned about today. Our special guests, Byron and Francine Parola, they're founders of the Smart Loving series and wanting to see couples reach their marital potential. They've been married for 30 years themselves, they have five children and they've got grandchildren. And uh, Byron and Francine joining us today, hello, a special welcome first of all to you, Francine.
2: Thank you, Neil. It's lovely to be online with you and with your listeners. We're really looking forward to our discussion this morning.
0: And welcome to you, Byron. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, uh, great conversation today and uh, we'll invite listeners to join in our conversation shortly. Uh, They can help direct where things go here. But we're going to be talking uh, about love, about science and I'm asking our listeners today because we have a Facebook question on our Facebook page and it asks the question, is falling in love scientific? So uh, facebook.com forward slash vision radio for listeners to join in that poll and be able to interact with other listeners through our conversation. So let me start with you, Francine. When you say the science of love, what is it that you really talking about? What are you trying to communicate in that?
2: Well I think um, it, it's really a little bit of just a, a mental adjustment for people because we all experience love and most of us have experienced falling in love and so we think we kind of know what it is and that it's fairly simple but actually it's quite complex and there's lots of different aspects and it's a really, there's a multidisciplinary approach to studying it um, in the last sort of Um, half century or so from psychologists and neurologists, sociologists, um, as well as the traditional philosophers and theologians who have helped try to define what love is. And so I think if we take a bit of a multidisciplinary approach um, and unpack it scientifically, we get a lot more insight into what's really happening when we experience that sort of falling in love process.
0: Byron, when we're talking about this science aspect and uh, as we you know, talk about psychology and sociology, uh, biochemistry, and even, as Francine says, uh, philosophy, we're also talking in here about theology because if we are created in the image and likeness of God, there is a element in the way we might look at falling in love, the science of love, uh, that comes from God's perspective too. What are your thoughts around that?
3: Well, it's a really important starting point because we say God is love you know and God is the great lover um, is the, the the living example of unconditional love which we all try to we all try to model in our lives in different ways with all our failings and I think you yeah, so we, we leave every we bring every element to it I mean, as as people as persons as humans we are both physical beings and we're also spiritual beings and when we uh, yeah, love is expression it's a way we express ourselves to others around us it's it's an act we do um, when we express love and it brings our entire personhood together and so it's not just one or the other I mean you can you, you can reduce it to a sort of physiological reductionism and leave out the entire spiritual you know emotional side of it or you can conflate the emotional and spiritual side and ignore some of the actual sort of physical dimensions that are happening to us which are actually very helpful and understanding what's going on in our relationships. And we think, you know, we are integrated persons. And so having that integrated perspective and some understanding. So you don't have to be a scientist to understand how to love. Of course you don't. But to understand a little bit of what happens, uh, you know, to our emotions, which is often colour the way we think about love. And that's not, that's only part of the picture is actually quite
2: helpful for people.
0: Well, certainly from that dynamic of a spiritual dimension as people who are in a much more secularized society today will sometimes de- detach their feelings of love and their commitment around love. Mm. Uh, they separate that from the divine impartation or the divine connections there. That really does raise mm. some concerns. And look, that sort of thing might come up in our conversation as we go. But let's let's stay with uh, you know all the sort of emotions and things that we experience when we're falling in love Francine, uh, for most people, romantic love is experienced very powerfully as an emotional attachment. Uh, How do you think we should understand that uh, with regards to this way we're talking science today?
2: Yeah, so I think if we stay with the emotional experience just for a minute... All emotions have a biochemical component or a basis. And what we describe as falling in love is a mixture of several different things happening in the brain. There's powerful neurotransmitters, which is just sort of the chemicals of the nervous system. Um, They include neuroadrenaline, senilel amine, or sometimes shortened to PEA, and dopamine, surge when we fall in love. And many of our listeners will have heard some of those before, but let me just unpack a little bit. Noradrenaline, that's associated with the sympathetic system arousal. So that um, releases energy and alertness. It speeds up our metabolism. So we experience, we've got high noradrenaline in the brain. We experience a little wakefulness. Um, it's often associated with a reduced appetite, but we've got high energy. Um, PEA, um, we think that that's associated with a, a reduced inhibitions, that it brings out sort of our less dominant side in our character. So you'll often find when a person, a shy person, falls in love, that they become really talkative. Or, uh, you know, the rough, <coughs> excuse me, rough macho man, he'll become more attentive and sensitive. But it seems to be that our character is influenced a little bit when we're in this kind of state of falling in love. And dopamine, we've heard about that a lot, that's part of the addiction pathways. And so, in some ways, when we fall in love, we can become, we experience a sense of almost being addicted to the object of our love, to the person that we've fallen in love with, and we crave more and more. We want to see them more, we want to spend time with them, and we also experience withdrawal when we're separated.
0: Byron, when you get a combination of all those chemicals, and uh, you know, let's not get hung up on all the chemical names because I'm going to have trouble pronouncing them all as well. Yeah. So, uh, noradrenaline. <laughs> <You> <should. laughs> <laughs> phenylethylamine and dopamine mm-hmm. i mean we've heard we've heard of some of those chemicals and sometimes when we unpack them we unpack them individually and as you've done there francine but when we put them all together and there might be all sorts of other chemicals involved as well byron when you've got the combination and you've got that euphoric feeling of Falling in love—a wonderful, wonderful experience. And is there some way we can sort of understand what's happening when all of those chemicals are working together?
3: Well, there is because, and those who've experienced it, you know, it's it's a wonderful feeling. The world feels just fantastic, Um, and and I think it's worth. And that's good, uh, and that's wonderful, and it's it's a it's you know it's it's a lot of things are happening, but but it's also important to recognise that uh, the brain adjusts. So, you know, if I'm a caffeine drinker. I drink coffee. And so my brain has adjust, adjusted to co- coffee. So it's much less stimulatory than it was when I first took a glass of co- a cup of coffee many years ago. And I actually have a slight addiction to coffee now. For anyone who's stopped drinking coffee when they drink a lot, they realize their brain actually craves it. And actually what happens this is what happens a little bit with these chemicals. The brain starts to adjust to it. And so when you first fall in love with somebody, the world suddenly, everything, you know, people say you're, gl- you're glowing and, the, you know, what happened to them, they're transformed as an individual. Well, a lot of that is, you know, a, you know, a lot of that's emotional and it's actually founded in some chemical reactions happening in the brain. But the brain adjusts and, and it, 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 it makes, it gets used to that. And so the, that, that sort of euphoric feeling over time actually disappears. It, it you become more normal again and, and, the, and the body reequilibrates. And so people sometimes mistake that as that falling out of love because all of a sudden that initial feeling that was so wonderful and they really looked forward to doesn't quite seem to be there. And after 33 years of marriage, in our case, those those feelings are very different from the feelings when we first met. And so we haven't fallen out of love. It's just the, the, the nature of our love has changed and the body's reaction to the initial stimulus has also changed along the way.
0: So, Francine, just uh, let's top this off here before we take a little break. When you've got this mix of all these chemicals and you've got this wonderful euphoria feeling. Uh, falling in love, there is a scientific terminology called limerence, and I wonder we might be able to uh, enlarge on that as we go through our conversation. But uh, you and Byron, you've been married more than thirty years. I wonder whether you've got any reflections on your own falling in love, and uh, whether you know there's been a bit of a roller coaster along the way. You're In and uh, you know, not that you've fallen out of love, but you know, the mm. that euphoria certainly uh, has its strong pattern in our beginnings in our relationships. But how do you reflect on on what happens over even a 30-year relationship?
2: Yeah. Well, certainly when we first fell in love or fell into limerence, if you like, um, in my, I was in my early 20s and Byron was in his mid-20s. And it was a beautiful experience. We were completely swept up in each other um, did crazy things, like we would, Byron would finish work at 10pm at night, he was just starting a career, he'd call into my place, I was. we were both still living with our parents, and we'd talk for two hours or three hours, and, and then he'd reluctantly drag himself away at sort of midnight or one in the morning to get up at six in the morning, and he'd, we'd do that day after day, and we didn't feel tired, we certainly you know, weren't getting sick of it. And um, In fact, the
3: only thing I could think of as one o'clock in the morning as I would go home was, when can I see you again? <laughs> And, of course, now, 30 years later, if Francine wants to you know, sit around and talk with me in the evening, my reaction is, oh, I've got an early start in the morning. I need to go to bed. <laughs> now, it's, it's the same person. It's the same relationship. But the, that sort of, you know, that just, that the, the swept, up in, swept up in the moment sort of sense has, has replaced itself with something just as beautiful but different and, and, and much less movie-like. Mm. So the initial reaction you get is the thing that actually draws you to that initial? It's like a glue. It's sort of mm-hmm. initially it's sticky, but it takes a long time for that bond to go deeper and deeper. And eventually, the glue is actually quite hard. Yeah. And, and and so that but that, that initial sort of adherence is the limerence experience.
2: Perhaps a better metaphor is like the fire starter. Yeah. Well, it, it initiates that blaze and helps get the fire established. But then eventually, that fire kind of settles into a, a constant self-sustaining self-sustaining heat. Well. And certainly, when I was just going to say, when when I first noticed that those feelings were starting to decline in our um, early newlywed years, I actually felt quite desolate, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, have I made a mistake? This I didn't think this was going to happen." The experience of limerence was so powerful; we thought it was just we assumed it would last forever, and um, and of course, it doesn't. It doesn't for anybody. But it really sort of set me into a bit of a crisis. And so learning about the science of love was a real godsend because it helped me recognise that this was actually a normal development in the pattern of love, and um, and that now required more active conscious investment by me to sustain the, the love in it and and um, attachment. We had to come from our will rather than just relying on the biochemistry.
1: Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision.
0: We're talking the science of love today and you might like to join in. 1-800-316-316. You can respond on our Facebook poll today at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. The question being asked today is falling in love scientific. You can have your say there and interact with some other thoughts that listeners might have there as well. Byron and Francine Parola are our guests. They're the founders of the Smart Loving series and I do want to include uh, some calls today. Let's take a call or two. Mike is on the line from Kelso in Tasmania. Hello, Mike. Welcome. Hi. uh, Good to speak. Um, Of course, many people in the world
3: marry through what we'll call arranged marriages. They're not how necessarily we do it in Australia, in in Anglo-Celtic culture. So people
0: uh, meet and, and perhaps they just choose to love. Well, what a great insight. Uh, Byron or Francine, uh, you can look at each other in the eyes lovingly and say, you take this one. Uh, who's, uh, what, what sort of uh, perspective can we bring for Mike on arranged marriages?
3: Yeah, no, Mike, it's a great, it's a great uh, thought. In fact, it's one of the things I think we would have come towards in this conversation because we, talk, we started off by talking about the emotion of love, but there's also an entire other side of love, which is our, in, our willful intention. And you can, you can learn to love and you can choose to love and you can build love from all different starting points. And we've also got to remember in this conversation too, we started this conversation talking about romantic love, which is obviously the focus when you're talking about marriage. But we also have other forms of love with our children and our parents, which isn't a romantic love, but it's still nonetheless a very powerful form of love. So in the sense of, um, of a, uh, a romantic relationship, it starts from all different points of view and even in our Western culture where the arranged marriages are less common, um, there's a lot of you know, marriages, very successful marriages, but people fall in love very slowly and they, they get to know each other. You, know, you can hear couples say that, that they, when they first met they didn't like each other. And then they found they they found a friendship and then they fell in love. So the journey of love and love very much is a combination of the emotion and also the willful intent. It's, it's two things, it's not just one and we'll, we, we should spend some time on that because the important part of this is you can actually train your brain as well to love and to find mechanisms to actually keep love alive in your brain and even build the emotional life of your, of, of your love when all the normal things that people associate with feeling in love uh, aren't sometimes there.
0: Uh, Mike, while we've got you on the line, uh, there is a certain sense here, if we talk about arranged marriages, as Byron, as you're saying, this is not typically part of our culture, but there are other cultures around the world that do arranged marriages. And uh, we might say that takes away the freedom of a young couple to choose who they might marry, but there's also this other dimension of the wisdom of parents who've been there, done that, and making assessments about the uh, the qualities perhaps character qualities of a young person to marry their child Uh, and of course sometimes there's political reasons and uh, economic reasons in there as well but but is there sort of wisdom in in the fact that you've got these sort of insights that are coming from an older generation helping to put that relationship together?
2: Um, Yes definitely I think there is um, there is that wisdom and I think Assuming that the families that are arranging the marriage are mature and functional and are not kind of, I guess, um, you know, grossly dysfunctional. We all have a measure of some dysfunction in our families, but, you know, not grossly so. I think families can make very wise choices for their child, knowing their personality and their needs and so on. The other thing that is interesting, when you talk to couples who have... Very strong, loving relationships who started as an arranged marriage, and they will be strong advocates for an arranged marriage. One of the dynamics that plays in their favour is that they experience that limerence experience as a married couple, and so all of the positive emotions and experiences of that is associated with them in their marriage, rather than for most of us, it's associated with this before marriage. And so there's no, there's not going to be this, um, you know, mental um, conflict around hey we got married and everything went south you know when we, before we were married everything was vibrant and passionate and now that we're married it seems was it getting married was that what killed our love is that it can often be the conclusion that people make it's, a, it's, an, in, in perfect, it's a, an inaccurate conclusion but the advantage of experiencing that sort of limerence that in love falling in love once you're already married it helps strengthen that bond I think
0: OK, well, thank you so much to Mike in Tasmania for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Let's hear from Daniel in Minyup in Victoria. Hi, Daniel. Welcome along.
1: Hey, mate. It's a Yeah, Minyup. Nice and cold. <laughs> Good.
0: <laughs> OK, cold in your neck of the woods. So uh, what are yeah. your thoughts for our conversation
1: today? Well, we seem to skirt about a certain word, which has... I've been married for uh, 26 years. I married my boss, and, um, and it was on a promise of God. And it was like an arranged marriage. But what was interesting is I realized that I fell in lust with my wife. And then once we were married, I learned to love her.
0: Good thoughts, Daniel, uh, because when mm. we talk about this word limerence, Perhaps that's connected with uh, these sorts of feelings that we have, uh, Byron. Uh, your thoughts for Daniel?
3: I think um, so, uh, Daniel. I think probably a lot of uh, men, if they were particularly honest, fell in love with very physical, strong physical dimensions about it, and we often we often think of that as lust. I mean, we've got to be careful with the word lust. Um, there's a difference between being very desirous. Uh, physically desirous of, of, our, uh, of our lover and lustful, which is a very self-centred orientation. But I, I think your point's right. I mean, there are many things that bring us together. Some people are attracted to people for you know, just the sheer physical dimensions. Others are attracted by their intellect. Others are attracted by their gentleness. But what we learn to do is we learn to love the person in their wholeness over time. And that's what the falling in love experience is. And it happens at different rates. And frankly, it never stops. I mean, Francine and I have been married for 32, three years. You've been married for 26. I can honestly suspect for in both our cases, we are learning more about how we love each other and finding dimensions to love in our relationship and deepening it as each year goes past. So the journey never stops. It only stops if we let it stop. Um, you know. And so that's the challenge for us. So... All all sorts of different starting points, arranged marriages, you know, lustful desires in the the sense of not true lust, which is purely self-centered, but they they mature into genuine deep love. And it's a bit like Francine's analogy earlier, the sparks may be different that start the fire, but ultimately what a deep marital love is, is like that burning log that just goes and goes and goes um, on its own energy.
0: Fabulous illustration. Daniel, thank you so much for your call. Uh, not too long out from news. Let's take another quick one. Uh, William is in Queensland. Hi, William. Welcome.
1: G'day. Welcome from um, sunny Queensland. Beautiful 23 to 45 <laughs> degrees up here. It is. Enjoying myself. I'm an ex-Tasmanian, so yes, I'm enjoying it up here right now. I'll probably okay. be sweating like crazy later on. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> William, you need to, to be subject. quick.
0: What are your thoughts here?
1: Um, this... Um, Romantic love is basically a worldly ideology. It's just a thing that they've made up as a culture. I know it's going to offend a lot of people, but true love of marriage is dictated by God. It's the way he is love, he is light, and he is the way. The point is, um, the worldly love is just a fiction it's It's just a thing that people get attraction to each other. It's all based on lust, and the previous man's comments are very pertinent um uh, and he and people need to understand the difference between God's love, what is sustaining, and long lasting as well in comparison to the world's love of lust and romanticism.
0: William, we, we're going to have to perhaps uh, save a response uh, for after the news, but it's an interesting one you're making there. And a lot of people might disagree with the idea that uh, as Christians we don't have a romantic nature and uh, uh, we might uh, be un- able to unpack that. But William, thank you so much for your call. We will have a response to that coming after Vision National News. Byron and Francine, we took a call from William just before the news and uh, William mentioned that there is something in a divine definition of love that takes us into a deeper form of love but uh, whether William meant it that way he did indicate that the idea of romantic romanticisms and uh, perhaps even uh, these sorts of uh, attractions uh, may not be something that Christians might see as coming from God I wonder whether uh, we've got some thoughts on that from uh, either you Byron or Francine
3: yeah, so to Neil, I think uh William's questions was a really or comments were really useful uh for this conversation because I think uh culturally, um the notion of what real real romantic love is, um, that you know, is at the heart of a a lifelong marital relationship has been trivialised. So we have the sort of the Disney they lived happily ever after, you know, ending uh, the, you know, all the sort of stuff we watch on our media and read about, which you know, people talk about the sort of the, the flighty elements of romantic love, but at its heart, romantic love is a deep, you know, a deep experience where God is at the heart of it, and God wants us to you know, have a, a relationship that is romantic as husband and wife.
1: Okay. I think
2: it's also important to remember that God created us um, with desires, and the important thing as Christians. Is to work to orientate our desires and to unite them with the heart of God, so that those desires are orientated towards fulfilling His will. Um, and so, yes, they can get, you know, off course and take us in paths that we shouldn't be going. But the desire itself needs to be kind of carefully um, evaluated. That some desires are actually from God, um, and so we don't want to just completely dismiss desire as being all about lust. I mean, sometimes it can go in that territory, but there are times there's a, there's also such a thing as a holy desire, I think, that married couples can um, nurture and should nurture in their relationships.
0: Byron, I suspect there's something powerful in our Christian faith here that somehow or other uh, that uh, governs our experience of how these desires that burn within us in fact, are outworked because we'll often talk about marriage as a lifelong relationship between a man and a woman. Uh, but for some people, their experience has been in and out of love and uh, this feeling of limerence is a word that some of us might not have even heard before today uh, that sort of you know keeps uh, re- recurring and then dying down and then we want that love, that spark back again. We want more and more of that. But there's a certain sense in which how we think about governing the Idea of a romance that actually allows us to be successful in so many other areas of our lives. What are your thoughts for that?
3: Yeah, you Neil, know, it's, it's always hard to generalise because there will always be people with experiences that sit outside the general comments we're going to make when you ask a question like this. But, but I think firstly the the uh, desire. Everybody has who enter into marriage is to make a, a lifelong success of it. That's their desire. I don't, I've never yet any married anyone who intends to get divorced. It, you know, it, tragically, it happens. And so the question you have to ask yourself as a married couple is, you know, how do you actually make this work? And do you want your relationship to be entirely dependent on your emotional feelings on any one day of the week or any moment of the day? Or can you take a deeper command of the relationship than just how you feel or the emotion that's welling up within you? And and you're right, we do this in all other areas of our life. But we sometimes, and maybe it's back to William's comment, in our cultural sense, we sort of think feelings trump everything when it comes to love. Well, it's not true. In, In our marriage, we make decisions to love when sometimes it's the very last thing we feel like right now. And we can feel deeply hurt by the other uh, and yet still choose to act lovingly towards them because we know that wasn't their intent, even though the hurt is very real for us. And and so you have much... When you understand that love is not just a feeling, but rather emotions and feelings are part of the love experience, But you know it's not just that, then you can start to actually take command. And if you don't do that, Your your relationship as a husband or wife or or somebody who's even dating ends up like the virtual fly in a mix master. You're literally just whipping around on an emotional turmoil and you don't know what's going to happen from one minute to the next because our feelings changed instantly. And so this idea of intention, willful intent, and this is where our Christian faith comes in because we we can partner with God in that, but our willful intent to love is as important as any emotional dimensions of our love.
0: Wow, a willful intent to love and that's where we might trace that back to a willful God who is intent mm. to love even a rebellious people uh, but let's come back to this idea of a trivialising of this idea of love and we might look at all sorts of modern media uh, to say that's where the trivialization comes to because oftentimes that's focused primarily on uh, the idea of sexual attraction and uh, lots of the TV shows that you'll see on our TV screens, mm. that's become the priority, where the, the limerence, the feeling of romantic attraction has become the priority. But somehow or other you've got to be able to see through that and dig a little bit deeper here. Uh, your thoughts,
2: Francine? Yes, I think that's particularly important for people that are in the dating um, kind of or singles that are looking to find a mate that they have to um, really take care not to get distracted by the cultural um, pressure to make it physical too quickly. Um, Because one of the things we also know is that any kind of physical touch, but a particularly um, sexual touch and particularly during climax, that um, the hormone oxytocin is released. And that is uh, called the the bonding hormone. Um, in, in common language because it's also associated with childbirth and with breastfeeding and it helps bond the mother to the baby and vice versa. But it's released in both men and women in these other circumstances. So if we're too quick in a relationship to pursue a very physical love, um, that chemical bonding is, is happening. It's causing a psychological change in us It's bonding to that individual before we've really had a chance to know their character, um, to um, you know, understand you know, what a possible future might be. And that's why breaking up is so painful for people who have been overly f- committed more physically than they really should have for the amount of trust that was in the relationship when they've been dating.
0: Let's just uh, stay with this idea of this bonding hormone that you're talking about, oxytocin. And uh, we could even, and let me just draw this alignment, uh, given by God to help to reinforce that lifelong attachment. Uh, I mean, we could see this feeling of, uh, of sexual attraction as being something that bonds a couple together through a lifetime, which provides that security for their children, those sorts of uh, issues around this. So, uh, the idea of having this bonding that goes on through our entire marriage—a very, very powerful thing. Uh, but for some, they're they're uh, they're approaching and using that. Uh, that bonding mechanism uh, outside of marriage, in relationship after relationship, and I wonder whether uh, you think uh, Byron, uh, by way of what sort of harm that might be doing, when in actual fact you could turn that around and and receive the good things that come from that bonding. I think
3: that's the the, the difference that's here. It's it's there. It's it's there for a reason. You know, when, when you when you've made that commitment that you're going to spend the rest of your life together that a lot of the things that we do as, as husband and wife, including our lovemaking, is actually part of actually deepening and building that bond relationship. And, and as Francine said, the, you know, the oxycotional release is, again, another physical expression of part of God's plan to build that. The problem is when we get it out of sync. And so we, we, the, the world has trivialised it. I, I, mean, I was watching a movie the other day, and they were talking about, you know, you know it's the third date. You know, they have, you know what that means. We sleep together. And, you know, I think you sit there and you think, my God, where did that, where did that idea ever come from? The third date, um, you know, uh, so we've got this, we've, it's, it's sort of like giving, you know, uh, giving people you know, instruments or, or that, that are, are way too powerful for their experience. We don't do it in the workplace. We, don't, we train people very deeply before we let them, you know, take on a role that's dangerous or acquire an enormous skill because we know there are consequences if we don't do that. We don't let them walk in on day one and say, there's the control panel for the, for the steel mill, you know, you know, make it up as you go along. And so, but, but in our relationships, we think somehow, because, you know, we just, it's just feelings and we'll work it out, we just stumble into it. And what we don't realise, and nobody tells you, is that not just that it's, it, it mightn't, be, mightn't be helpful, but it actually can be harmful. And no one te- intends it to be harmful, but that doesn't mean it won't be. And I think we have to guard ourselves against that very carefully.
0: And I guess uh, when we're talking about modern media in all its forms trying to tell us that it's not harmful at all, just go for it. But there is a word of caution that comes from the wisdom of God about the idea of being faithful to one another and and the idea of a lifelong marriage. Let's come to what's going on in this chemical cocktail in our brains and see if we can make sense of how this might look in the timeline of our lives. So Francine when we talk about the you know the the chemical cocktail it's it's doing its thing. Uh, we've got limerence Uh, This idea of uh, wonderful, attractive, romantic love in those early days and uh, sometimes we think that can last somewhere around that sort of 6 to 18 months and then things start to wane a little. I wonder whether we can pick up here and uh, perhaps point to those who are already married and who are wondering what happened to the spark in my relationship about how we might think about what happens to limerence after that sort of six to 18-month period and how we might keep it going. Uh, your thoughts here, Francine?
2: Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, we've we've experienced ourselves and we've, when we've worked with couples in our marriage retreats, we see it happening for them. It is possible to reignite some of that limerence experience and with with very focused and conscious effort Um, There's a couple of things that a couple needs to do. One is they need to address the accumulated hurts and wounds that they haven't fully forgiven in their relationship. And that that happens, I think, fairly commonly for all of us. Maybe it's just little minor things, but if it keeps happening over and over, over time, that becomes, uh, I guess, a a reason why we just um, sort of guard ourselves and hold ourselves back and don't fully trust the other because there's an expectation that, well, you know, he'll be late again, or she's going to leave a car on him. Do whatever it is. It might just be a minor irritation that is symbolically represents, I guess, a, a um, you know that person not being fully attentive to our needs and our um, you know values, and that can kind of build up over time. And we've we've found that you know in our retreats and things that we run for couples, but that's one of the key things we address is some of the wounds that are accumulating in the relationship and when you kind of get those out of the way it opens the door for them to enter more deeply into trust and they often describe to us as well this is amazing this is just like falling in love again Um, and so it it is possible to recapture some of that beautiful limerence experience but we do need to put effort into it. And um, I think we forget that we actually put a lot of effort into it at the beginning as well. It's just that it didn't seem like effort because it was so exciting and we were getting such um, you know, success. Um, but it's just as it took effort at the beginning, it takes effort during marriage as well. And it's part of the, um, I think, the call that we each need to take up.
3: I think, Neil, the, the trick here too, though, is not to, not to think that that is the benchmark of a, of a successful relationship, to go back to those moments. It's, you know, relationships ebb and flow. And what you're trying to do all the time is you're trying to run your relationship at an, at an emotional level, at a connected level that's on average higher than it is low. So you want to run the tank not empty so that you're always about to just run out, but rather you want to run the tank with an emotional energy between you that's actually higher because it just makes it easier. And so limerence is a very early peak, but it's a, it's a, it's a peak. It's not something you can run at all the time, and you can, as a married couple, experience you know times you know like that, etc. But it but it doesn't mean it's the only way you have to spend your life to have a successful marriage. And the trick is to find ways in your in your relationship to be emotionally positively disposed to each other, so you're not spending most of your time using the will to overcome the failed emotions or the negative emotions, but rather the ne- the emotions are broadly positive. And they are then in a virtuous relationship, in a virtuous cycle with the will. And that's really what builds a strong marriage.
0: Wonderful insight there, because while we all love the limerence experience, the attractive falling in love, the euphoria of the relationship, if we're able to recognize that that is going to wane, it doesn't mean that you've fallen out of love. In fact, I wonder whether you've got some thoughts on how love evolves beyond that because perhaps Mm -hmm. the real depth that we often like to talk about when we're talking about Christian love, uh, this is the point when you recognise that, oh, am I feeling out of love? This is where you've got to perhaps change direction and bring in those dimensions that actually deepen that love experience that will last Mm -hmm. a lifetime. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, Neil, you
2: know... We don't like the phrase. We hear it bandied around a lot in the world. You know, well, marriage is work. Marriage takes work, um, because it sounds like it's all negative. Um, but it is. It's kind of true. If it takes. if We prefer the word effort. It takes effort to make a marriage successful.
3: It takes investment. Yeah. Right. And anything worth having, you need to invest in it.
2: And and I think we get into trouble when because when we that we. we benchmark that beginning experience of limerence. And because it didn't feel hard work, it didn't feel like we were putting in any effort at all, or we assume we weren't, that that becomes the benchmark for what we expect is going to require when we get married. And in fact, um, you know, we do need to be invested and we need to be, um, I guess, be proactive in finding new and creative ways to keep deepening our intimacy and, and it's really the growth, it's the growth in relationship that creates that sense of excitement and that sense of bonding and positivity and optimism. And so, if we stagnate and kind of you know take our foot off the pedal and think that we can just coast, eventually we'll start to feel disillusioned and, and stuck in the relationship. So the trick is, I think, is the mature love is to, look, is to learn how to, I guess, keep just the pressure on the on the accelerator that keeps us invested and moving forward at a pace that can be sustained.
0: We call it work, but really it doesn't have to feel like a lot of hard work. I wonder if we can be practical for a few moments here. The idea of uh, having some uh, dates away and uh, they don't have to be no doubt uh, you know extravagant expensive, but those sorts of things that you know between a couple will fire up those chemicals. Uh, the chemistry, uh, the limerence that we're talking about. I imagine that that's a part of the work, is just having a plan into the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are your thoughts here in practice, how you might just uh, get onto a track where you're refiring some of that spark so that you're actually uh, causing your love to grow to new levels?
3: Yeah, the, uh, the, Chapmans, um, the Chapman's built uh, the idea of a date night out very effectively in a book they wrote some years ago. And it's become a bit of popular culture now, and it's actually a very important thing. What, at the heart of it is actually spending time with each other, and so there's all different ways of doing it. The research shows that the average married couple spends about 30 seconds a day in some form of intimate conversation. Now, that doesn't mean you know, planning the kids' pickups and things like that, but just intimate, you know, what's happening in your life. I actually think that's an exaggeration if you modelled it on our life. You know, we're just busy people. Life gets busy. And if you compare that to when we were first dating, we would spend hours in intimate conversation getting to know each other. And so the trick is when you're in marriage is find efficient ways because you don't have a lot of time, frankly, but efficient ways to connect very effectively. So date nights are an example. But, you know, date nights where you go to the movies and sit next to each other, it's better than nothing. But it doesn't really take you into intimate connection. The two tricks that we found that really help in marriages that are simple to do and they're free is, you know, before the sun sets every day, ask each other the question what was the most, what was your strongest feeling or your strongest emotional experience today? Everybody has one. It could be positive or negative. And by just sharing that, what you've actually shared with each other is the most intense emotional thing that happened in your life today. And that's quite intimate. So it could be that I had an argument at work or somebody gave surprised me and delighted me with something they said I didn't expect it a compliment. It could be the way you smiled at me this morning when I left the office you know, I left for work, it just warmed my heart. Whatever it is, but share it. And the other thing is uh, to share with each other again, every day, what's one thing I appreciate about you. And I can honestly say that no matter how busted and hurt we are with each other, on any one day, there's always something if we are willful. And, and, and true about it, we can say that we appreciate about the other. If we just all did that, then the marriage would become, we, the connectivity we have between us, the intimacy we have between us at an emotional level would be far higher than we actually generally experience.
0: Well, powerful ways to just make sure you've got that intimacy that's happening between a couple and uh, I know we've run out of time but uh, when you say most couples fall out of love through neglect and laziness it's that little extra work that's involved in causing that love to blossom and grow and you can turn it around with some focused effort it is in our control and if we feel like we've fallen out of love we probably haven't fallen out of love we just need to approach that in a different way and recognise that some of the chemistry that's going on in our our brains perhaps needs a little kick start well let me just reflect on the facebook poll that we've had running the question i've had asked is is falling in love scientific well, the uh, results so far, for those who have voted on that poll, 16% say yes, 80, and uh, 84% are saying no. Now, that's that's interesting, and I, we won't have time to unpack that, but I'm surprised by that uh, that number. And some might even have altered their thoughts on that, having heard our conversation today. Uh, so you can still respond to that, facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Uh, Let me just ask you about the Smart Loving Series uh, because you tackle these sorts of things in a number of different ways that people can interact with the Smart Loving Series. Uh, Give us some insight here, uh, just Byron, quickly uh, on the sorts of courses and people that can do when they go to your website.
3: Um, On on the website, we have a couple of things. We have a course for couples who are preparing to marry, which is a really important time of preparation. And that's quite a, a rich course that you actually go through. And it's like, you know, like anything, like learning to drive. And then the other thing is uh, we've got a a course called Breakthrough, which for couples who are actually in a bit of a struggling dry patch in their relationship, you can do it as an individual if you're just trying to work out how to actually start to rebuild it a bit. There's also lots of other online material, which is all freely accessible in there with lots of tips and practical ideas.
0: So uh, the marriageresourcecentre.org and also smartloving.org, and I imagine that uh, smartloving.org is where you'd where would people will find the sorts of things uh, that they could participate in along the lines of what we're talking about today. Uh, just quickly, um, no doubt uh, you've uh, missed opportunities because of COVID nineteen, uh, Francine. Uh, I imagine that uh, ways to connect with people and and to enhance and help to resource marriages to help those marriages go. To, on to reach their marital potential uh you've got to be able to interact online what's your encouragement to people to go to one of these websites and uh, and to uh, connect with you
2: yeah look, we're, we're finding couples we, we've been in the online space and doing online courses for about four years now and it's we've doubled our numbers in the last couple of months so it's Couples love the environment of the online, they can do it at their own pace, they can do it from home, they don't have to kind of go out and sit in a room with a bunch of other couples and wonder what people are thinking of, you know, about them and their relationship. So the online environment is a really great place to get support for your marriage and, and it's flexibly adapted into your lifestyle.
0: Well, smartloving.org. Byron and Francine Parola, the founders of the Smart Loving series, thank you so much for taking some time to share these thoughts with listeners today on 2020. Thanks to you, Byron, and to you, Francine. Thank you, Nick. Thanks,
2: all, Thanks
0: for having us.
2: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.